chapter 17 and we're going to start today at verse 17 of this text first Kings 17 17 and before I begin I do want to comment this is not in particular a Father's Day message since I'm only here for a few short months this summer it seemed best to stay on course with our series on the life of the prophet Elijah so that is what we will do today However, this is yet a message appropriate for the Father's Day occasion in that we deal with a family situation by way of the text and the need for the faith that all of our families and in particular, of course, fathers need. So I guess I'm trying to say even though this is not a Father's Day message, it is a Father's Day message. As we progress, I trust you'll understand that. Again, the, first, the text is 1 Kings chapter 17, starting with verse 17. But before we read verses, I want to share that about eight years ago, I got sick. Terribly sick. Somehow, some way, I had come in contact with a flu virus, and it hit me about as hard as a flu virus can hit. It was around mid-morning when I said to my wife, I don't feel right. Within an hour, I was miserable. The misery became extreme. The illness was not just a bug. It was a full assault on my body. Over the next few days, my body expelled everything it could expel, and this was followed by five additional days of awful muscle pain, cramps, dangerously high fever. It was so bad, both my wife and I worried as to whether or not I would survive the sickness. It was that extreme. I suffered in a way I would describe as unbearable, but obviously I did bear it. I did get through it. Well, during that time of pain, which extended more than a week, in nearly every conscious moment, I prayed. I asked God to heal me. I asked God to give me relief. I asked God to show me if there was something in my life which might be the reason for him having me endure this illness. And no answers came. When the flu finally left my body, it was not by way of miraculous healing. I simply got well. And I was grateful to the Lord that I did get well. I believe His hand is on everything, and I praise Him for it. But the truth is, I was also confused as to why recovery had taken so long. Why did God allow me to get sick and suffer as I did? And a broad, on a broader level, far beyond myself, why does God allow sickness and death in this world? Why do people get cancer? Ted mentioned it in his prayer. Why do people have to have their gallbladders removed? Why do people get infections? And there is certainly no one clear answer to such questions, but there are five biblical responses. These responses are important to consider. Therefore, before we begin today's story from the life of the prophet Elijah, we're going to look at five things the Bible does teach about why people get sick. Number one, the first thing to understand is in this world, the reason for sickness is not something God ever intended for us to fully understand. In other words, the first thing to know about why people get sick is we should not assume we can know why people get sick. We should certainly not demand to know why people get sick. 
This is the message of the Old Testament book of Job. Job was a man afflicted with physical problems. Other problems came his way. He and his friends tried to figure out, what's the cause of this? Why is this happening? At the end of the book of Job, the revelation which came from God is, you don't need to know why this happened. Don't expect to be able to figure out all the answers to all the questions of life. You're human beings. You're not the Almighty. There are things in this world you will never know. What you need to know is God himself. And when you know God himself, you know enough. The second thing to understand as to why people get sick and die is we do live in a sin-cursed world. It's a plain teaching of Scripture that when Adam and Eve sinned, death came into this world and death passed upon all people. And with that death also came decay, deterioration, and disease. These things were not part of the original creation. They came because man turned away from God. We live in a world which has been spiritually corrupted, and the spiritual corruption is accompanied by physical corruption. A simple way to say it is one of the reasons why people get sick is our world is sick. A third thing to know as to why people get sick and why there's death is many times physical problems are a result of our own foolish behavior. People who smoke tend to get lung cancer. People who, have, who don't take care of their weight and don't exercise tend to have high blood pressure and are prime candidates for diabetes. As a general truth, we would be a healthier society if we took better care of ourselves, and we know that. It's true that often physical problems really are our own fault. I remember many years ago needing to make a three-hour journey to a speaking engagement. I stopped at a gas station, and along with putting gas in the tank of the car, I purchased a large bag of dried apple slices. I don't know why I purchased that bag of dried apple slices other than they look good, and when I bit into them, they were good, especially good. So good that within the span of 20 minutes, I ate the entire bag of dried apple slices. A few hours later, my stomach began to hurt. My digestive system went crazy. Once I was at the place where I was supposed to speak, I wasn't sure I could leave the restroom long enough to get out there and deliver the message. What was the cause of this? Was God teaching me some special spiritual lesson? No. The problem was I had foolishly eaten the equivalent of six large apples while riding in the car on the way to the speaking engagement. And once those dried things were in my stomach, they weren't so dry anymore and they swole up and my stomach didn't appreciate it. Well, the fourth thing to understand is there are times when sickness and death do come as judgment from God. Now, this is not always the case. I do not even think it is often the case, but it can be the case. So we must handle this matter with balanced understanding. There are times when physical problems and God's judgment do go hand in hand. The Bible tells us of King Herod being struck by worms because of his pride. It was a judgment from God, and he suffered terribly until he died. The Bible tells us in 2 Kings 5.27 of a servant named Gehazi who became leprous because of his deceit and the judgment of leprosy passed on to his family, the generations to come. 
1 Corinthians 11.30 is a passage of scripture we often share when we have communion together. And that scripture tells us there were Christians in a place called Corinth who were ill, and some of them had died because of their abuse of the Lord's table. So God can and sometimes does deal with sin in our lives by way of a challenge to our bodies. And please understand, this is not always true, but it can be true, and we need to know it can be true. The fifth and final thing to understand as to why illness and death come is that often it occurs so that God might be glorified. And maybe we could say in one way or another it always occurs for this reason. In the ninth chapter of the book of John, there's a story about a man who'd been born blind, and people were trying to figure out why he'd been born blind. Some thought his blindness was a judgment from God. Some thought it had to do with a sin that would be in his life, or maybe a sin his parents had committed before he was ever born. Our Lord Jesus Christ arrived on the scene and explained the situation was nothing of the sort. The blindness was not about sin. The blindness was there as an opportunity for God's power and God's love to be demonstrated, and that is exactly what happened. There are times when physical problems come into our lives not for our sake, not because of our own selves, but because our problems can bring a testimony and blessing to others that can work for eternal benefit. In my own life, an example of this is a woman by the name of Johnny Erickson. You may know of her as well. While a teenager, she dove into water, which was shallower than she expected. She injured her spine and was paralyzed from the neck down. She and a lot of people prayed for miraculous healing, but God didn't bring it. The paralysis remained. It took time for her to adjust adjust to her infirmity, but eventually Johnny developed a wonderful ministry wherein she shares her confidence in God and her love for God in spite of her circumstance. I met Johnny at a conference in Southern California a number of years ago. She was a huge encouragement and blessing to me personally. God does use difficult things in the lives of some people to touch and minister to the lives of others. And through this, he is glorified. Well, that fifth thought brings us to today's story from the life of the prophet Elijah. We're about to view an incredible incident wherein someone is ministered to and God is glorified through sickness unto death. It begins with punishment suggested. We're looking at 1 Kings 17, verse 17. Elijah's taken up residence in the house of a widow who has a son. If you were with us last week, or if you know the text preceding this text, you know that the widow and Elijah were brought together by a clear leading from God. And their relationship was powerfully established through God's miraculous provision. It was a time of drought upon the land. It was a time when many faced starvation. But Elijah, this widow, and her son were doing fine because God was taking care of them in an amazing manner. It was a beautiful situation. Then trouble came to paradise. Look at verses 17 and 18 as I read them. Sometime later... The son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Now let's try to wrap our minds around this. Think with me, please. Even though the prophet of God was living in her house, 
Even though God had brought the prophet to her and ordained that together they survive the famine, her son, nevertheless, had become sick and died. How was she to comprehend this? How could something like this happen when the man of God was present in her home? She concluded it could only be for one reason. Sure, you know what it is. God was punishing her for some sin in her past. At least that's what was running through her mind. She was thinking, well, maybe God didn't bring this prophet to my home to bless me after all. Maybe it was just to get my hopes up and then hit me hard with a bitter lesson. You know, the higher you are before the props are knocked out from beneath you, the harder you fall. This is what she was thinking. And we can relate to it. It's not an unusual assumption. Even people who've known the Lord for years and who are well established in their faith, when adversity comes, especially the loss of something or someone close to heart, there's almost always the tendency to think, God must be making me pay for something I did wrong. It could be called spiritual hypochondria. A hypochondriac is somebody abnormally anxious about health, and whenever this person hears of a bug, an illness, or disease, they think they have it or they're likely to get it. Well, spiritual hypochondria would be the kind of person who attributes every problem in life to discipline coming from God. Uh-oh, something bad happened. What I do now? And I've known people, this is no exaggeration, who were so caught up in this kind of thing that if their car broke down, they immediately tried to figure out what sin they might have committed that would have caused it. In their mind, it could not possibly be something so simple as a cracked water hose. It had to be more. It was a message from God. If a sore developed on the bottom of the foot, if a backache persisted, if there was a sty in the eye, they were sure God was trying to get their attention and teach them a lesson. When I was in college, there was a young man in the dormitory who developed a serious toothache. He refused to go to the dentist. When I learned of this, I was curious, so I asked him why. And he told me it was a waste of time and money to go to the dentist because his problem was spiritual. He was confident that if he would just confess some sin, the toothache would go away. He did not see his problem as an infection. He saw it as a need to repent and pray. Well, in spite of his repentance and prayer, his toothache did not go away. He was forced to give in and go to the dentist. The dentist fixed his tooth. The dentist was able to fix his tooth because it was not a spiritual problem. It was a toothache. He had a toothache because in the normal course of life, people get toothaches. Well, as I said earlier in this message, sickness and God's judgment can work together. We know that, but we must be careful not to assume that it is the primary or the only reason for physical adversity to come our way. This widow was wrong. She was wrong when she thought the sickness and death that came into her house was because of sin. She was wrong to think God was judging her. On her part, this was a tremendous mistake. Before we move on to the rest of the story, let's take a moment to remember who this widow was. Remember, she's in Zarephath, the Sidonian city. Her background is pagan. It's likely in her past this widow had done some gross and wicked things. It's likely in her past she had participated in the idolatry of her land and the heathen practices that went with it. 
It's likely she had regrets and felt guilt over things she used to do and say. But in spite of that, in spite of whatever evil had once been in her life, what was happening to her in the present was not about it. God is a God of grace. God is a God of forgiveness. And like that widow, there might be someone in this congregation today who has a past that is not pretty. You might be keeping a cloud of guilt over your own head because of things you used to say and do. And you may even be trying to punish yourself for things that were once a part of your life. And I say to you, that kind of thinking has to stop. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you've surrendered your past to the grace of God, your past is past. It's gone. It's done. It's over. Whatever problems you have in your life today are not God's way of punishing you for what you used to be or what you used to do. God isn't like that. God doesn't do that. God deals with us in the present for whatever sins we may be clinging to in the present, but God does not keep on punishing us or keep on making us pay for that which he has already forgiven. This widow assumed she was being punished, but she was not being punished. And this brings us to the second part of the story, presumption rejected. What did Elijah do when this grief-stricken widow came at him with the accusation? Look at verse 19. Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Wait a minute. Is this the prophet Elijah questioning God? Look at the verse again. Can it be that Elijah doesn't even know why this has happened? It seems to be the case. He's saying, God, have you brought tragedy? And he's putting it as a question. And please notice the prophet's response to the widow is not an attempt to answer her question. He does not presume to know the mind of God. He does not try to explain what is going on here. And unfortunately, too many Christian people and too many Christian leaders try to do what Elijah here did not try to do. And that is in stressful situations, they take it upon themselves to attempt to explain what God is doing. It's an easy mistake to make. Over the course of my life in ministry, on numerous occasions, I have stood by hospital beds and deathbeds, knowing people were looking to me for answers. Whether they thought I had the answers or they only hoped I would have the answers, I knew people were waiting for me to say something profound. And when I was young in ministry, I tried to say something profound. I tried to be God's answer man. I thought I was supposed to be God's answer man. So I would attempt to say to people, well, well, God must be doing this because... And then I usually ended up feeling foolish and hopelessly inadequate because I didn't really know what to say and I wasn't God's answer man. And I still am not. At least at this stage in life, I know I'm not. Even someone officially appointed to ministry cannot be expected to know why God allows things to happen and why God lets the course of the human experience flow as it does. Remember what we said earlier about the lesson from the book of Job? God is God. We are not. We cannot know every intention and motivation of the Almighty. 
There are many times in life when all we can do is step back and say, God is God. He knows what he's doing. He doesn't make mistakes. I put my trust in that. In the midst of this difficult situation, Elijah made no presumptions. He offered no speech. He offered no argument. He offered no answer. He attempted no explanation. Instead, he went to the Lord in prayer. This brings us to the third and final part of the story, persuasion accomplished. Elijah didn't know what God was doing, but he knew what he needed to do. He took the child in his arms, carried him to an upstairs room. There he laid him on the bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord in earnest, passionate prayer. I don't know if you've known this story from the past and if you ever thought about it, but it's preparing the message for this week. For this first time, it really came to me that very likely Elijah was fond of this little boy. Think about it. Elijah had been alone at Kareth for more than a year with only birds for friends. Then he'd come to Zarephath and become part of a family. He had companionship after a year without it. A little boy had come into his life that he could talk and talk to and tease and, and play with. I so enjoy children. I can imagine Elijah enjoying that little boy. So this was not just a loss to the widow. It was a loss to the prophet. In verse 21, we're told, Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The prophet viewed the boy as dead. He also viewed the true and living God as one who could restore the child to life. And there's no question here about Elijah's faith. He believed in the power of God. He believed God could bring the child back to life. But there are several questions here as to why Elijah prayed the way he prayed. And the first question is, why did he stretch himself out over the child's body? That's what the text tells us. He literally laid himself down on top of the child. Well, commentators guess about it, but nobody knows the sure answer. The suggestion is, at least the suggestion I like best, is Elijah was creating a symbol. He was saying, God, whatever power you have put into and on my life, please now put it into and upon this child. Elijah did know the power of God, and he knew that he was a prophet of God. And as a prophet of God, the Lord had done special things in him and through him that normal people did not experience. It could be by way of this posture, he was saying, Dear God, do for the boy what you've done for me. Whatever it is that is in me, special, having to do with your power, please pass it on to this child. The second question is, why did he do this three times? The verse says, three times in a row he prayed like this. Well, some say it's because the first two times didn't work, and Elijah simply wouldn't give up. He cared too much to stop praying until the boy revived. And frankly, I like that. I like that idea of persistence in prayer. Others say it's because God is a triune God. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And Elijah sensed that and knew to pray in a threefold way. The third possibility, and the one I like best, but again, it's only a possibility, is that God was controlling the circumstance to provide a foundation for the number three being connected to resurrection. Jesus Christ would be in the grave three days, three nights, then come back to life. Elijah would place himself on this child and pray. He would do it three times, and then the child would live again. 
Well, we don't know any of those things for sure, but what we do know is Elijah was persistent in prayer, persistent in his faith that God is a God of miracles. This led him to pray until the boy revived, and the boy did come back to life. Now, this happened a long time ago, and it's time to look at ourselves today. Where are we in our faith? I think it's very important to assess ourselves and ask, as Elijah did so long ago, do we believe God is a God of miracles? Do we have faith like Elijah had? Do we believe God is a living God who can yet do the impossible? There's a song I used to hear kids sing in Sunday school and in youth group. I'm sure some still sing it today. Maybe in your youth group they do. It's called God's Not Dead. It goes, God's not dead, he's alive. God's not dead, he's alive. God's not dead, he's alive. I feel it all over me. And then the song goes on and on, describing all the ways they feel the fact that God's not dead, he's alive. And and, in some ways the song's silly, and the kids can get carried away with it, but I see it as a wonderful song. Because it is that testimony that our lives are to be lived with a consciousness of the reality of God, with a belief that God is real and He's alive and He's here and He's at work. Sad to say, relating to this matter, I think there are times when Christians do not have the perspective they should. There are times when in the effort to avoid extremes in one direction, Christians go too far in the other direction. And maybe you've been exposed to an overly emotional and sensationalized kind of religious experience that bothered you and even embarrassed you. Maybe it's part of your past. You said to yourself, this is not good. I do not want to be allowed and shouting, pew jumping, chandelier swinging, snake handling, dancing in the aisle, out of control kind of Christian. No way, that's not me. Then in your reaction to that kind of thing, you have become an I'm just going to sit here and go through the routine kind of Christian. I'm going to keep my emotions out of it. I'm going to be like that old detective who would say, just the facts, sir, just the facts. So you don't let yourself feel your faith. You don't allow yourself to express excitement and joy. Your behavior and your demeanor suggest you're not even sure miracles are going to happen in this generation. And I say, listen. If miracles are not for our generation, then God is not for our generation. If God is for our generation, then miracles are for our generation. Malachi 3.6, and up on the screen, you only see a small portion of the verse. But it's a quotation from God himself where, the, where God says, I am the Lord, I change not. If God was a God of miracles in the past, then God is a God of miracles in the present. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Elijah, and the other prophets is our God too. Do we believe that? I ask you directly, do you believe that? One of the goals of my life has, has, to, to always, has been to always be like an excited child when it comes to my faith. The Bible speaks of a childlike faith, and I don't ever want to not have childlike faith. I don't want to lose the enthusiasm and, and the thrill that comes from believing that my God can do anything but fail. I think a church should be careful to maintain the same point of view, and that is we should not become so sophisticated, so rigid, so dignified, so studious in our approach that we repress joy and show very little or even no excitement about the power of God. 
It's a spiritual balance that we are to maintain. And that is on the one side, we know, like Elijah, that we don't know the mind of God. We know there are times when God doesn't do what we ask Him to do. God doesn't do what we want Him to do. We know there are times when the things we pray for don't seem to happen. We know that, but we understand God is God. So even when the miracles we seek do not occur, we still trust Him. But on the other side, we never lose that sense, like Elijah didn't, that our God is real. He does hear us. He can do miracles. At times, He does do miracles. Therefore, we keep on seeking Him to do the miraculous things He does. Look at how the story ends. We come to verses 22 through 24 of chapter 17. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Whatever doubts this woman may have had in the past, whatever confusion there may have once been in relation to our faith, now it was gone. This devastating experience that had come into her house turned into strength and confidence and persuasion. Now next week, we're going to move into the next chapter of the story. And with the next chapter, to signal that the drought is ending, Elijah has to leave the widow's home. He goes back to Israel. The widow remains in her foreign land, surrounded by idol worshipers and heathen practices. Do you think she went back? to the ways of the idols and the heathen practices? Absolutely not. Do you think instead, there in Zarephath, she she was a missionary to that pagan culture? Absolutely so. Was she someone who would give a testimony to anybody who would listen as to the reality of the living God and tell people what God had done in her life with her son? Absolutely. In this situation, it's easy to see how God used sickness and death to bring blessing and a miracle to a home and a life and witness to an entire nation. So why do people get sick? Why is there disease and death in this world? On the broad level of biblical teaching, we may know know some answers. On the personal level, we may struggle with answers. But what we know for sure is God is to be glorified in everything and trusted in everything. And He can work for good in every aspect of life, even when times are hard and it seems like all has gone wrong. And with that said, would you please bow your heads? At the end of the message, I always ask that you would do this. Bow your heads and close your eyes because it is ever so important that we make sure we make the messages personal. Church is not just about sitting through a sermon. Church is coming in here asking God to speak to our hearts. And when he does, we need to make sure we're listening. Maybe you've had some things go wrong recently. Maybe you've had some unexpected problems come your way. And they've led you to question why? God, what are you doing? If that's the case, would you please remind yourself, God makes no mistakes. If he doesn't choose to tell you why or what's going on, it's still okay. 
as we sang earlier in the service, just trust and obey. And then maybe someone like that widow is struggling with your past and that thought that whatever is hard in your life now is because God is still punishing you for what you used to do or what you used to be. Will you please now fully embrace the grace of God? Will you accept the fact that God is not like that and you are not properly respecting who God is to think that he would be such as to hold your past against you when you've confessed it to him and trusted Christ? Accept God's forgiveness. Accept God's grace. And if you've never opened your heart to Jesus Christ in the first place, if you've never become a Christian, let God's truth, let the power of God, let the reality of God come into your life. Come to know the God of the impossible by embracing his Son as Lord and Savior. Heavenly Father, we commit the message to you. We commit every part of the service to you. We thank you that your perfect hand is on our lives. And to you, we pray, O oh God, be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We do have a song to sing. Not recognize the title of the song, but you'll recognize it too, and let's stand and sing together. I cast all my cares upon you. I lay all of my burdens.